Thank you for joining us for the Way Lithia Weekly Podcast. We hope that this message will help you to see your identity in Christ and create growth in your life. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to be talking about John chapter 2. It's fitting that John is actually here today. Same guy. He has aged well. John chapter 2. We are at the wedding of Cana. We're going to go through the first part, and this is where we're going to be in. I'm not going to read too much from it, um, but uh, feel free to read along. I will try to go in order as much as possible. But in John chapter 2, the wedding of Cana, they are going, um, Jesus and his disciples have been invited to go to this wedding. So they go to this wedding, and this is going to be, these guys have got to be excited. They, um, so as far as how far they had to travel, it was either two miles or it was eight miles or somewhere in between. Nobody really knows the exact amount, but it was far enough to where they had, it, it was a little bit of a travel, but it, it was something that they wanted to make it to. So Jesus and his disciples went. And back then, weddings were a celebration. They were like a big-time celebration. Like you invited everyone that you could. So they invited everybody they could, and all these people came, and Jesus came, and he was excited. He saw Mary, and he, was, he got to hang out with his mom and some of his friends. I'm sure there was a lot of people that he was around from whenever he was younger, and he had his disciples with him, so he's got his crew. He's getting to inter- introduce everybody to him, right? He's got his new, new friends that he's hanging out with, and everybody gets to get, get to know everybody, and there's a big party and big celebration. So they go to this party, and all of a sudden... They are. They have a. They have a catastrophe. That like a big, big deal. They run out of wine. Now I want you to know that that Jewish, the Jewish culture, especially back then, hospitality was huge. You ran out of wine after all these people traveled all this way. It was like a slap in the face. So they run out of wine, and Mary's like, "Wait, hold on. My son's actually like God." <laughs> I think I've got it. I think I know what to do. So Mary says, hey, Jesus, we're out of wine. What does Jesus say? Woman, it is not my time. Now, whenever we read this, we think it's disrespectful. I want you to know that the way that he talked to her, it's not typically a way that someone would talk to a mom, but it was by far not disrespectful. Like he wasn't saying, woman, look here, woman, know your place. It was still his mom. He still respected her. Jesus was a good boy. I'm positive. So he was, he said, woman, it is not my time. And what does Mary say? Nothing. You know why? She's his mom. It doesn't matter what he wants to do. That's his mom. So Mary says, hey, she looks over at the servants. Go do whatever he needs you to do. You know what Jesus was doing at that time? It doesn't say it, but I'm sure that Jesus had, Mom, I just said I was going to. I'm like 30 now. <laughs> Kids, I need you all to understand, no matter how old you are, you are still your mama's little boy. It will always happen. I don't care. And I've had this happen. And my mom's not in here, so I will talk about it. Um, if she was in here, I wouldn't because she will still hit me. But... Like, you can be, if, you're, if you are somewhere with, and your mom is there, and the trash is overflowing, it doesn't matter if it's your house. You can be a guest there. The trash is overflowing. Your mom will look at you and say, hey, somebody needs to take out the trash. 
She's not making a general observation. This is not a moment in time where she's wanting you to ponder a thought about the trash. But she is saying, hey, trash needs to be taken out. So Mary looks over at Jesus and she's saying, hey, we're out of wine. What is she saying to Jesus? Hey, fix the wine situation. You know why? Because she knows who he is. She understands. She remembers the whole time that she was raising him up. She remembers the whole time that she, she remembered conceiving him and how that happened. She remembered the spiritual and the beautiful thing that happened whenever she, was, she had the, the Christ birthed in her. So she remembered that time, and whenever she saw that the wine was out, do you know how long it takes to make wine? It takes a long time. You're not just squishing grapes. This is wine, not grape juice. They're looking to get wine for this wedding. It's not something that can happen overnight. And she looks at her son and says, we are out of wine. Because she knows he is capable. She has not put boundaries on him. She knows because of what she has been through in her life that he is capable of fulfilling this need. That he is capable of meeting this need for everybody around there. It doesn't matter that it takes years and years and years to make wine out of grapes. Because Jesus Christ is there. And with Jesus Christ is there, everything is possible. He can exalt time. He can take time and move it. Time does not exist for him. He can make that wine happen in an instant, and he did. But he did so much more than that in that time. I want to tell you that this time, this wedding at Cana was so much more than just a wedding. It was so much more than Jesus taking water and making it into wine because he was setting some things up. He was letting us know what's going to happen in the future. He was reminding us of why he was here. So he took, he said, every, whenever those men looked at him, he said, take these, these pots. And these pots were used for ritual purification. They were used so that these people could wash their hands and wash their feet. But there was a lot there. There were gallons and gallons and gallons for the pot. And it was only the bride and the groom that were supposed to be purified in this. So it wasn't just for washing the hands and feet. There was a lot more that it was capable of. This was for washing them. And back then the Jews, whenever they would go into a wedding, they would go through and they would fast 24 hours beforehand. And they would fast 24 hours beforehand so that whenever they would enter under that tent and they would come into agreement, they would be washed inside and out. And they would come into that wedding with no sin. Does that sound familiar? When you come into a wedding with no sin, when you come into an arrangement, God calls us his bride. He is our bridegroom. And when he comes into a place with us, when he comes into agreement, when we go into relationship, we are going into something without sin. The problem is we don't see it that way. The problem is we step into something that is sinless and we immediately just step on it. Because we've got people that are out there that are still trying to get us to do the junk that we did before. We've got people that are out there that are trying to entice us with lesser lovers, lesser things that, we could, that could keep our attraction, lesser things that would, that would get our minds off of God. And we forget about the beautiful thing that we just stepped into. But you are still in that marriage. You are still in that marriage. So they would walk into agreement. They would walk into that thing. And this is a beautiful picture of what Christ does with us. Before this wedding ever happened, though, there was a lot of things that had to take place. First of all, 
The groom had to find the bride. Or the groom's father had to find the bride. A lot of times they did arranged marriages. Back then, though, even if the, you remember the story of Rebecca, whenever, whenever she was found, she still had to agree to go with him. So it's not that people, even though in a marriage was arranged, she had to agree to it. So once the agreement was made, they met under this tent. And there was a, uh, it was a chupa, right? Hoopa. They would meet under a hoopah, and a hoopah is basically, it's, a, it's, it's got like, a, it's four poles that are up, and you've got, these, um, uh, you've got these linens that are tied together over the top and over the other way, and it's four sides of it. What it represents is this tabernacle. So this is, this is your, 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 it represents your home going into marriage. This is, this is what's represented here. This is your new home. So they would go into that, and then the, the groom would leave. And what would the groom go to leave for? What would happen if the groom just, if they just went and got married? Were they going to live with his mama? They wouldn't do that, right? You can't enter into something unless you are capable of taking care of that. Unless you're capable of taking care of that relationship. So in John 14, well, we'll go back to that in just a second, but whenever the the groom, whenever they would meet under that and they would sign the marriage contract, that was a binding agreement with them. And that that binding agreement, you actually had to have a divorce, even though they hadn't gone through the ceremony, that agreement was binding. It was, it was, there were certain things that were given to the bride, certain assurances, and there, there was, it was a binding agreement. So then the husband would go, or the groom would go, and he would, he would, he would go and make, start preparing their home. He would start preparing their house. And I think this is so beautiful because this, this picture, this first, this first miracle that Jesus ever did was just, there's so many layers to it that show us what Christ was put here to do. Because if you look at John 14, verse 1 through say, it says, let Verses 1 through 3, I don't even know if say is a number in any language. Verse 1 through 3, let us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's Jesus talking to his bride. He's saying, I go to prepare a place for you. See, the cross is our marriage covenant. The cross was our agreement. Now, whenever the groom would leave, the bride had to make herself ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because the bride has to make herself ready. One of the things that the bride has to do for her to get ready for this is she has to make sure that she's getting her her things in order. And one of the things that she has to do is she doesn't know when he's going to come. So she wants to make sure that she's got her lamp and plenty of oil. And we talked about the ten virgins not long ago. But I want you to know what that's for. Because 
the bride does not, the reason she's got all that oil is not to show off how much oil she can collect. But she is there with all that oil because she doesn't want there to be a chance that her groom would come in the middle of the night and not be able to find her. She wants to have plenty of oil so that if he comes in the middle of the night, she doesn't know when he's going to come. But if he comes in the middle of the night, she wants to be ready. She wants to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's not going to miss her. Have we been that bride that's been getting prepared for the groom to come? Because whenever we look at the picture of a wedding, and we got to remember that in the, in the Bible, we are the bride, and he is the bridegroom, and this is the picture of us coming together. That whenever we enter into this relationship, we are going to enter into something that is sinless. So Jesus went on a cross, and that cross was our marriage contract. That cross, because a, a marriage contract is what he's saying is, this is how much I'm willing to give you. This is how much of myself I'm willing to give you, whether I'm with you or not. This is how much I'm going to give you. This is my assurance to you. So when Jesus died on the cross, he gave it all. He gave everything. That's a marriage contract that says, I'm not going to pull back on anything that I own, but everything that I have is yours. I lay it all at your feet. You are my bride and you are worth everything to me. So he lays it all down. And then, when, and, and then he, he, he raises from the dead and he goes in the ascension. He tells them, he goes, hey, I'm, I got to go prepare my place for you. You've got your contract. I'm going to go prepare a place for you and me so that you can dwell with me and my father. Remember, that was Jesus' heart because he wants us to be with him as he is with the Father. So he goes to the Father so he can prepare a place. And he said, there are many rooms in my Father's house. That means there is room for you in his Father's house. There are many rooms in my Father's house. And we got to remember that whenever he goes, uh, the, the bride is wanting to make sure that she has enough oil in her lamp so that he can see her at night. And what is the first thing? Whenever everybody goes into the upper room, they are praying and praying and praying and praying and waiting to see what has to happen. And what is the sign that Jesus has come back? What is the sign that the Holy Spirit has come? It is tongues of fire. The, the oil in the lamps is not meant, that's just a product meant to build into a fire. Jesus comes back as the fire himself. The Holy Spirit comes back as the fire himself. You see, Jesus is not separated from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit not separated from God. But the very thing that we want to make sure that we are not missed when we are in our prayer room, when we are on our knees, and when we, whenever we are struggling to find God, when we are saying, God, I can't leave here, I can't leave this place until I have you, fire comes. That's our oil. That's the way we know we're going to be found. You want to know that Jesus Christ is going to find you? You want to know that the Holy Spirit is going to find you? Get on your knees and wait for the fire to come. Because you are, you are pumping the oil when you are praying. And when you enter into that covenant, understand what it is that you're entering into. Because you are no longer you it's not following somebody like you follow somebody on Facebook. It's not following somebody like, I really like this band, and I'm going to buy all their albums. But you get into a relationship 
And I want you to know that in Cana, there were a lot of people that were there. But there was only one person that left with a different last name. And that's the bride. Because when she walked into that wedding, she left a different person, a completely different person. She was not, she, she could not have her identity anymore. It couldn't happen. She had to leave a different person because the person that she had become, she had fasted the 24 hours before, and so had he. They had said their prayers. They had done their cleansing because they wanted to wash off every bit of junk that they had on them before. And then they walk into this relationship where all of a sudden they pick up a new identity, and they are going to lead into a sinless life. They're walking into something where sin does not have any boundaries. And now the bride gets to walk with the groom. And I want to tell you that once you enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ, once you enter in a relationship with Holy Spirit, you get to walk with the groom. And he walks in front of you. He walks behind you. He walks beside you. He's on top of you and below you. You're not walking into anything by yourself anymore. So those problems that you had before, those things that, those loved ones that you have that you've been praying for and praying for and praying for, there's no reason to lose hope because you're walking with the King of Kings. There's no reason that you have to lay anything down and say, yeah, I guess my God just can't do this. I guess this one's just too big. He created everything. What can be too big? How can cancer be too big for someone who created our bodies? How can any sickness be too big for someone who created us? It can't happen. Our God, we need to understand who he is because we go into so, we have ascribed to so much of the Western Christianity that we have forgotten who we are. The church has forgotten who she is. And if we really look at it, I mean, they used to, we, we know, we, we love to say that we are, the, we are the bride of Christ and that we are the temple of God. I'm the temple, I'm the temple, I'm the temple. But we don't act like God's living inside of us. Whenever they would walk into the temple, they knew that God was there. They knew it. They knew God was there. So they would walk in and they would have like a, there was a, a rope that was tied to his uh, and me and Sean were talking about it the night before last. They had bells that were on there so they could tell if he was still alive or if the glory of God killed him in fruit for some reason. We still have to look that up. Uh, maybe it was for Holy Spirit to eat. But they had bells and fruit. And they were Anyway, they would walk in there and they would make sure that there was a cloud before them. They would make sure that there was a cloud before them because of how real everything was. They knew that God was there. And we got to be honest with ourselves. We're supposed to be that house. We're supposed to be that temple. I just told you that these people were worried about dying from being in the presence of God. And we're supposed to take the place of that. You know what kind of responsibility that is? We have to be, we, we should be acting like the temple is right here. 
like the Spirit of God, that same Spirit that they had to worry about coming in contact with because it would kill them, is the Spirit that actually lives and breathes within us. That is our life now. Because when we signed up, when we walked into that covenant, it wasn't just Jesus making that covenant with us. It was us walking into that covenant. And we have to, we have to, we have to treat it more severely than what we have before. When the church starts acting, could you imagine if there was just one person that you knew? Maybe a handful of people that you knew. That they actually believed that the creator was alive in them. What kind of impossibilities are there? But we get nervous to tell people about God. Like we do. We get nervous to, what do they think about me? What would they think about me? How often do you think that the king is worried about what his subjects think about him? It's all mindset. But we've been tricked. We've been fooled. We've been manipulated into giving way too much weight into what other people think. And it has pulled us away from who we are. It has pulled us away from what our identity is. How, if you have such a beautiful gift of eternal life, of a, a life, of a lifelong relationship with God, if that's the gift you carry with him, with you, how selfish is it to keep it to yourself? But you're wor- we're worried. We're worried about, and what if I walk up to them and they look at me like I'm weird? Do you know them? Do you worry about that whenever it's time to dance at a party? What if everybody looks at me? And I know that there's some people that are like, that, they, that you are like that. If you are, I promise you, if you just dance, life will be so much better for you. Ask Sean. Sean will do the chainsaw. Actually, I've got a video. No. <laughs> Church, I want us, to, I want us to, to walk into what God has for us. Because the, the only thing that the, that the enemy can do is confuse us as to what, who we actually are. Because if we're walking in who we actually are, if we really, really take a hold of that, and we say, this is, this is, this is the relationship I'm in. This is the covenant that I walk in. Whom shall I fear? If God is for us, who can be against us? These are all fun things to say when we're battling through something. How many have ever said that before? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. That one's normally a prayer whenever we feel like we got stuff coming against us, right? You know, I used to, I, I was at a buddy's house, well, a friend of a friend, um, we went over and there was a, uh, 
this guy had a chihuahua. And uh, is there anybody here that really, really loves chihuahuas? Okay, good. I'll tell the story then. Um, Facebook, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but there was a, a uh, this, this guy had a chihuahua. And this chihuahua it was a regular-sized chihuahua. It was like this. But it was just going nuts. Like it was just, and it kept like biting at my leg, like the, the, my pants. Yeah. And I was telling the guy, I'm like, hey, can you do something about your dog? And he's like, oh, he's fine. Like, no, he's not. He's not fine. Because he thinks he's a lot bigger than what he is. And I want to send him flying. And he was like, don't kick my dog. And I'm sitting there negotiating with the guy. I tell you what, you put him away and I won't kick your dog. <laughs> and Well, eventually that dog went and it, was, it kept on, kept on. He never put it away. So I scooted it. And um, in any way, the it was he got upset with me. But but the the point of it is this dog had no idea who he was. Like he couldn't tell. Like he's here, I'm here. I'm like I'm not a big guy, but to a chihuahua, yeah, I'm a giant. Think about that. It doesn't matter how big you think you are. It's just how big you think your problems are. Because I may not be massive in the kingdom of heaven, but to Satan, I'm a giant. Because I know who I am. I know who I walk with. And the relationship that I'm in, one part of that relationship defeated him a long time ago. So that little chihuahua can walk all, can bark all it wants to. But all I have to do is give him a little scoot. And I don't care who gets upset about it. Because that's the relationship I'm in, and I know who I am. But a lot of times we put way too, have, has anybody ever seen anybody run from a chihuahua before? I have seen it. I, I, I've seen people run from the smallest things. There's people that are scared of, like, frogs and stuff like that. And if you're scared of frogs, I'm not trying to make fun of you. But I'm just saying, it, it's you, it, it will never happen that you get attacked by a frog and die. Like a frog. They, they are kind of creepy and gross. Um, but it's just understanding who we are and understanding what our problems are. And not letting, not building up the things around us bigger than what they are, but building us up into who we know we are. Amen? All right. If you stand up with me. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, please share it. Also, if you would like to partner with us, you can go to thewayliffy.org forward slash donate. See you next week. May God bless you and your family.